I wanted to just briefly, before I dive into our message this morning, just give you a little bit of my, of my background. I was not raised in the Adventist church. How many of you were raised in the church and proud of it? Amen. And I wish I had had that background, but unfortunately I did not. My parents were not Adventists or even Christians. And I grew up in a, um, you say, a Christless home. And I was involved in sports for a number of years, played football, and was a pretty big star in my, in my hometown. And when I went on to college, I became atheist. And I wasn't really anything before that, but I became an atheist and really uh, had no interest in religion. I thought it was all fairy tales and fables. And I just wanted to be, do my own thing and, and find freedom. But instead, I found slavery. And the Lord, through divine providence, has led me to himself. And I ultimately, when I was on the verge of suicide, decided to study the Bible to prove there was no God and that there was no purpose to life. But the Lord spared me, and he brought me to a place where I am today, and I'm so thankful for that. And I'll talk probably a little bit about that throughout the weekend. But when I first studied the Bible, it was like just a divine revelation to me. My life was transformed, and I hope that your life is transformed. I know for those, many people have told me, for those who grow up in the church, it's often a, a difficult thing to really, to really experience what you might call a conversion. But let me tell you, God has been with you since your birth, amen? He's been with you since your birth, and he's been speaking to your heart. And, you know, in 2009, I actually had cancer, and I almost died from a septic infection, and I'll probably share a little bit about that throughout the weekend. But I'll tell you, friends, you know, you, you really don't understand, how do I say this? You really don't understand how precious life is until you go through a situation. I know many of you being physicians and and working in the medical field, have seen others on the others. You've been on the other side of that. But it's really during those times when God draws close to you. And I want you to know that as physicians, you have an opportunity to draw close to your patients in a special way when they're on that receiving end. But friends, I've, been, I've had a lot of suffering in my life. I've had a lot of experiences that no one in this room even knows about, that only God and myself know about. And I'm sure that if we could all open up the chapters of our life, God would, we, others would be shocked at what they might see uh, in our lives and the, the, the difficulties that we may go through that we internalize. But I want you to know this weekend that God is there with you throughout them all. You know, I actually wanted to be a physician. I wanted to go to medical school. I wanted to become an ER doctor, but the Lord, shortly after my conversion, called me into the ministry. And it was actually at a state university that I found my faith. When most young people are leaving the faith at university, I actually found my faith. And uh, the Lord converted me my senior year in college, and I was the only, to my knowledge, I was the only Seventh-day Adventist on a campus of about 12,000 students. And uh, so I, I knew of no other Adventists, barely any in the area. And when I first came to the Lord, I went to a little local church, and I was 22 at that time. And the, per- the only the person that was closest to my age in that church was over 50. 
So it went from 22 to 50, and then it went up into the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And there was a couple people there in their 90s. But you know what? That very first Sabbath, I sat in the pew listening to the, to the elderly lady play the piano, missing every other note. <laughs> Unlike Dr. Guthrie this morning, I just sat there in tears. Because I said, Lord, this is where you want me to be. This is God's remnant church. Life did not make sense to me before I knew the Lord and before I understood the Adventist message. And friends, I wouldn't have cared if, if all the people in the church were over 100. That's where I wanted to be. You know, when young people say to me today, oh, well, you know, we, 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 in our local church, there's no young people. But there's the Lord, and he's the only one you need. Amen? And so I rejoice, and I began to witness to others on campus. And I'll tell you maybe more about that before we get into our message this morning. You know, I was thinking about what to share. Because I'm a pastor, and most of you are physicians or dentists or nurses or medical professionals. And I thought to myself, you know, what does a pastor share with medical professionals? And, you know, the common thing that you hear at these types of conferences would be, Oh, well, you know, uh, the, the pastors and the dentists need to work together, and there's me- true medical missionary work, and all those things are correct and true. But as I looked at the schedule, you're going to hear all of those things in the seminars. And so I thought, you know, I don't know that that's exactly what you need to hear more. And I began to pray about it, and the Lord began to impress me on something to share. And I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But what I found is that true ministers and physicians are really not that different from each other. Notice I said true ministers and true physicians. Essentially, in many ways, they are doing the same work, or should be doing the same work. And listen, a lot of times, it's the truth. I mean... I'll just tell you right now, I didn't come from an Adventist background. I came out of the world, so I will be quite raw with you this weekend, okay? So just know it ahead of time. I'm not, you know, I consider myself professional, but I, I also consider myself real, and I just want to be straight up with you. The reputation that a lot of ministers have, not, I didn't say all, but I said some or, or a lot, is that they're lazy and incompetent. And that they only went into the ministry because they couldn't do anything else. How many of you have heard somebody say that before? Maybe you've said that or thought that about your pastor before. And let me tell you, it's true that there are pastors. I mean, I supervise pastors and I have some pastors. We we love our pastors in Michigan, amen? But some of our pastors can be lazy. Some of our pastors are incompetent. Some of our pastors don't check their emails and other things. And if some of the things that they did uh, in the ministry, if they did that in a secular job, they would have been fired yesterday. And it's true. But there are godly ministers. And there are ministers who could be very successful in the business world. They could probably be millionaires. But they've sensed that call to the pastoral ministry. And then... There's a reputation amongst many about physicians that they are are arrogant, that they are arrogant, that they are cocky, that they don't listen to their patients, that they don't listen to people 
that they many times view themselves as a mini-God. Some don't have bedside manners, and they're harsh and cutting and nasty to their nurses. There's those kind of reputations that physicians have. But you know, there are some godly physicians out there, amen, <laughs> who love the Lord, who are not just doing, medical, or doing a medicine because they're in it for the salary. You know, one thing you know about Adventist ministers, if there's one thing you know, they don't go in it for the money, amen? They go in it because God called them. But I believe that God is calling godly physicians. And I believe that there are physicians, if they made half as much as a pastor, they'd still do it. Because they have a burden to influence their patients for the Lord. And that they realize that there's a greater work beyond just the daily routine of the office. But there is an eternal work for every soul that comes through the doors of their practice or through their hospital, yes? So there are all kinds of reputations. But when we are converted and we are committed... There are great similarities in this work because we are both working for eternity. What do you say this morning? And God has a special place in his heart for physicians, and I include dentists in that, and medical professionals. Why? Because he is one. Amen? God has a special place in his heart for pastors because he is one. And he wants to bring those two together so that they work in unison with each other and essentially do the same work. So when I thought about what am I going to share with you this weekend, I thought about this. In the end, humanity is humanity and we're all in need of a savior. One thing I know for sure is that uh, physicians need to hear the gospel. Medical professionals need to hear the gospel. And I don't make the assumption this morning that all of you have accepted the gospel or that you've even understood the gospel. I don't make the assumption today that just because you may be the head elder of your local church or whatever positions you hold in the church, that you really understand who Jesus is. And so this morning, I'm going to take you through the story of Peter. And I believe this morning that there are a lot of similarities between Peter and pastors, and Peter, and physicians, medical professionals. So with that being said, let's bow our heads together this morning, and I'm going to kneel, and I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing to be with us. Father in heaven, this morning, as we dive into the gospel, I pray that your heart would minister to us this morning, that we would hear your words, and that we would understand and know the truth as it is in Jesus And that we would surrender ourselves to it. And Father, I just pray for the power of the Spirit of God to raise upon our hearts, to come and speak to us, to draw us near to you. And most importantly, for us to surrender ourselves. In our professions, to make ourselves vulnerable, both for physicians and pastors, is a very almost taboo thing to do. But Father, we are amongst friends this morning, and we are amongst the Savior. And as you look into the depths of our hearts today, I pray that you would open to us the understanding that you would have us to have about your word and about your will for our lives. 
And Lord, I know that the busyness of life can call our ears and our hearts away from the words that you wish to speak. But here in this place, as we are stepping aside, we are called aside for a while. I just pray, Lord, that your hand of kindness would be upon us and that your love would be in our midst and that we would, in this weekend, surrender ourselves to you. We ask your blessing and we come in Jesus' name. Amen. The three messages I'm going to share with you this weekend are based upon surrender. Because I believe that a lot of pastors are unsurrendered to the Savior. And I believe that a lot of medical professionals are unsurrendered. In fact, I believe the majority of our church is unsurrendered to the Savior. We see it everywhere, do we not? We see the fruits of unconversion. We see the fruits of unsurrender. We see the fruits of people who are unwilling to be unified in the truth. And we see all these things and they kind of wreak havoc upon our churches. And I understand that to be true. So this morning, I'm going to speak to you about the surrender of yourself through the life of Peter The apostle Christ in you cannot be truly formed unless there is a complete surrender of self. Tomorrow, I'm going to talk to you about the surrender of your profession, not your profession of faith, but your profession of professionalism. And then on Sunday, I'm going to talk to you about the uh, the surrender of your medical practice, your practice uh, in the medical field, and how you can draw closer to those who are around you. But this morning, we're going to talk about surrender to self. And we're going to look at, first, the call of Peter by Jesus, his calling in his life. Secondly, we're going to look at his error of confidence. And thirdly, his cowardice and his conversion. Are you ready for that this morning? All right, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I want you to just uh, hear my own call to ministry. Somebody's going to have to help me with time. I meant to bring my phone. If somebody could just bring me my phone, because I don't see a clock, I'm going to make sure. I've been known to preach uh, longer than I should on more than one occasion. So I just want to make sure that I'm, uh, all right, 43 minutes, prophetic. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I remember my own call to ministry that when I went from being atheist to Christian and Adventist, I recognized in my own life that I, I had no interest in doing any, pursuing anything else except ministry. I didn't know exactly what that call would look like. I didn't know exactly what that, uh, what my line of work would be, but I knew that God was calling me to do something for him. I almost, in my senior year of college, quit college because I wanted to go be a missionary in Congo. And uh, the Lord convinced me through my prayer time that that was not exactly what he had in mind. But gradually God called me and I went to the Amazing Facts School of Evangelism and whatnot. But one thing I knew that was burning in my mind was that God had called me to serve him. And I want to, I want to help you understand something this morning. That I don't, I don't think it really matters what profession you are in. Whether you're a medical professional or, or in some other capacity, there might be some students here or whatever, but that the number one thing that God has called you to do in your life is not your profession, but it is your service to the master. 
and that everything else in your life needs to be centered and focused around that. Are you understanding that this morning? And too many people, I think, disassociate those two. They go to church on Sabbath and they practice their faith and they're honest, good, godly people throughout the week. But when they go to work, that faith and that drive and that call to service that God has upon their life does not cross over into their business or their profession. And so I want you to see something here from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. The Bible says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of what? Of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Here you have two sets of brothers who, when Jesus called, the Bible doesn't say they finished folding their nets. The Bible doesn't say they finished drawing in the catch. The Bible says that, what did they do? What was the word that he used twice? Immediately, they left their nets and followed Jesus. There was something about this Jesus that they were drawn to. I don't know, from what it seems like, they had never seen Jesus before in their life. But the presence of Jesus caused them in the midst of their own profession to forsake all. Now listen, I don't think this morning that God is calling you necessarily to leave your profession. He might be. He might be calling you to something else outside of your profession. But what I do believe this morning is that he is calling each and every one of you to forsake everything within your profession. To do what? Forsake everything where? Within your profession. And that he is calling us in all of our lives to lay down our professions on the altar and use them as he wills and use them for his glory. Now, I want to take you to another passage here. And it's a a parallel passage. And it is Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Go with me there. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to see the same story just a little bit expanded. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. It says here, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to push out a little from the land. So he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners from the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, 
Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For when he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch that they were, which was taken, and so also were James and the son of uh, John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, "Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men." So when they had brought their boats to land, they did what? They forsook all and followed him. Now, I want you to understand something. These guys had just had the biggest success they'd ever had in their profession. Do you understand that? They had just caught the biggest catch that they had ever caught. Probably they couldn't take 10 catches and combine them and make the catch that they had caught that day. And at that moment, at that moment, Jesus calls them to come and follow him. Immediately, he calls them right at the height of their success to forsake all. And really, friends, whether we forsake all for another profession or we forsake all within our profession, it doesn't really matter because Jesus is giving the same call to each and every one of us. Does that make sense to you this morning? Now, I want you to listen here to some from the Desire of Ages. I have some, uh, a few uh, paragraphs here. I want you to uh, see, and then I'm going to talk, make some points out of this. It says, Peter was unmindful now of boats or lading. This miracle above any other, this is from Desire of Ages 246, if you'd like to follow along. This miracle above any other he had ever witnessed was to him a manifestation of divine power. So there was a point in Peter's life when he recognized that divine power had come alongside his lowly profession. Does that make sense? And something miraculous had taken place. There was a transformation. In Jesus, he saw one who had held all nature under his control. The presence of divinity revealed his own holiness. Love for his master, shame for his own unbelief, gratitude for the condensation of Christ, above, uh, yeah, condensation of Christ, condescension of Christ, above all, the sense of his uncleanliness and his presence of infinite purity overwhelmed him. Think about that. While his companions were securing the contents of the net, Peter fell at the Savior's feet, exclaiming, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Humanity, with its weakness and sin, was brought in contrast with the perfection of divinity, and he fell altogether deficient and unholy. Thus it has been with all who have been granted a view of God's greatness and majesty." Peter exclaimed, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Yet he clung to the feet of Jesus, feeling that he could not be parted from him. The Savior answered, fear not, you shall catch men from now on. Let me uh, jump down to this. Until this time, none of the disciples had fully united as co-laborers with Jesus. They had witnessed many of his miracles and had listened to his teaching, but they had not entirely forsaken their former employment. But now Jesus called them to forsake their former life and unite their interests with his. Peter had accepted the call and upon reaching the shore, he bid them follow me. Immediately, they had left all and followed him. I want to read this sentence that I missed, skipped over. It says, it was after Peter had been led to self-renunciation and dependence upon divine power 
that he received the call to his work for Christ. I want to propose to you today that in every profession, whether it be medical or business or whatever else, that there are professed Christians who have not had this experience. Does that make sense? They are doing a work and they are trusting in themselves. And I'll just be straightforward with you. In both pastoring and in medical work, there is a great temptation to trust wholly in yourself. Listen, you're the one that endured all that medical school. You're the one who stayed up countless nights studying all night and then going to take the exam. You're the one who worked hard. You're the one who, who endured all the tests and the residencies and all these different things. And I've accomplished and I've achieved this thing. I've paid the price. I've made the sacrifice. And I've done all these things to get where I am today. So I deserve whatever it is that I'm getting, whatever salary I'm getting, whatever. Is that the mindset of some? Just, just tell me if I'm right on or not. That's the mindset of some. And Peter came to that point where he had said, all my life, I've been laboring and doing all these things, but right here in front of me is the greatest successful catch that I've ever made. But listen, friends, the greatest catch he ever made came not from himself, but it came from a mix of humanity and divinity coming together. Does that make sense? And that is what brought the miracle in his life. And when Jesus worked this miracle for him, he recognized that he was in the presence of one who was greater than him. And he fell upon his knees and said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And I'll tell you, friends, my fear is this, that for many pastors, I'm just going to keep saying pastors because I don't want you to think I'm just picking on physicians, but that's why you're here to be picked on this weekend, right? Amen. But I believe that not only for pastors, but many physicians, there are many who have not come to the place where they have had that experience of divinity flashing in their hearts and in their lives, and they have not recognized their own sinfulness. They have not recognized their need for dependence upon the Savior. They've not recognized that without Him, they would be nothing, that they would still be toiling. And many are toiling in the success of the world. Listen, my friends, it is very clear to me this morning that we can never reach our full potential until we realize first our own condition. And listen, the world often is lauding physicians and even many times pastors as the higher folks in the, in the society and in communities. And they're the ones that people look to for moral guidance. They're the ones that, that often are, are looked to as just, just, just more than the common person. But friends, we need to understand that if we're going to be in the full service of Christ, we have to have a full surrender. We're going to be in the full service of Christ. We have to recognize that when we come into the presence of divinity every single day, that we have to realize how sinful we are. And often there's pride in the heart. And often there's arrogance in the life. Both in pastors and ministers. I've met some very arrogant pastors. And let me tell you, I don't know what it was what it might be for you. But for me, I remember that before, when I first came into the church, 
I would lay before the Lord and I would just weep because I knew the sinfulness of my own heart. But you know, when you're in the church for a while and you begin to adopt the Adventist culture, things begin to shift and things begin to change. You start to do all the right things and eat the right things and, and act the right way and do all these different things. And, and it almost sometimes becomes a ritual, like a routine. And I became then a speaker and, and people began to invite me different places and I began to uh, be noticed by this one and that one and that convention and whatever. And I remembered that there was a jealousy and a pride that began to swell up in my own heart as a speaker. And this is why I'm so against young speakers who have not served in the ministry to be up on platforms like GYC. I'm against it. Ministers who have not gone through the toiling sacrifice because what happens is they get on that platform and the world sees them as someone who has some level of talent when they have not gone through the experience of rejection and various things that they go through, the, 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 the difficulties of ministry, and then they get recognized all around the world and God would have them do a greater work, but they are not willing to be molded because they're not willing to go into the pastoral ministry because they think that uh, the world needs them. And I'll tell you, I could list some names, which I won't, but I think that's happened to several people that are well-known in the Adventist church. And the same thing can happen in the world of, of the physician. The world will look at you as this glorious thing, but you, you do not recognize. It is so easy to slip into that hole, to slip into that trap, that temptation. You understand? And their only protection is to continually come into the presence of divinity. Because when you're in the presence of divinity, you recognize the weakness of humanity. And you recognize your own sinful situation. If you're listening to all the voices outside that tell you how wonderful you are and how hard you work and how this great sacrifice you made, then friends, your own heart is going to swell and puff up. And the next time that we think to ourselves that we've made a great sacrifice in our lives, we need only look to the sacrifice of Christ. And we realize that we have made no sacrifice. And let me tell you, I used to become jealous of other speakers. I used to say, why would they invite him to that conference? Why wouldn't they invite me? I'll just be vulnerable. That's exactly what I was thinking. I used to see the list of speakers and I thought, well, I'm a better speaker than that one, that one, and that one. And you can make the parallel in your own life and your own profession because we all do it. I'm not afraid to say it because I know that you all have done it too at some point in your life. <laughs> And I'll tell you, it wasn't until God laid me flat upon my back in 2009 when I had cancer. And my life was on the line that I began to realize that's not the way that God operates. And friends, I'll tell you, I came into the presence of God because I had no other choice. I was almost going to die. And friends, sometimes that's what it takes Sometimes God will cause you to be embarrassed in front of your colleagues because he's trying to get your attention. 
Sometimes he'll cause you to make a mistake and you get reprimanded by the hospital or whoever because he's trying to get your attention. Because he wants you to come into the presence of divinity. And he wants you to see the condition of our own hearts. Listen, a physician is no less a sinner than the person who's, uh, that works at Walmart or wherever else. We are all human beings. We may have different lifestyles and different uh, whatever, but we're all at the core sinful. And Peter recognized his sinfulness. And that's what saved his life. Jesus called them to forsake their former life. And I'll make you fishermen, fishers of men. I'm going to read another statement to you from the Tsar of Ages. It says, To Matthew in his wealth, and to Andrew and Peter in their poverty, the same test was brought. The same consecration was made by each. At the moment of success, when their nets were filled with fish, and the impulses of the old life were the strongest, Jesus asked the disciples at the sea to leave all for the work of the gospel. So every soul is tested as to whether the desire for temporal good or for fellowship with Christ is the strongest. Think about the most successful time in your career. I don't know what it is. Maybe it was that promotion. Maybe it was when you paid off your student debts and now you were able to, to have you know, a greater revenue or whatever. Think about it. The test for you today is no different than the test of fishermen 2,000 years ago. Your success, and I'm not just, it's not financial, but it's professional. Your success is only good in this life if all you ever live for is this life. I told medical students, I said, God has not called you into the medical field so you can live a selfish life. God has not called you to be a dentist so you can live as you please. He's given you a calling to ministry. He's given you a calling to not just save lives earthly, but save lives eternally. And if that's all you ever live for, you're going to die without any significance or any purpose in your life. No matter what the world thinks of you. You've been called to do the work of a gospel minister. You've been called to reach into a place of the human heart that very few in this world can. By bringing healing to the body and bringing healing to the mind. But more importantly, bringing healing to the soul. And as you bring healing to the mind and the body, it gives you an avenue to the heart. 
you have a greater opportunity than even the ordained minister of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. What are you doing with that opportunity today? What have you done with it throughout the course of your career? Dare I ask, how many souls have you led to the Savior? And how many souls have you led into his remnant church? Because let me tell you, God will give us opportunities every day. Every day. I better move on. Let me just read this last paragraph here. Principle is always exacting. No man can succeed in the service of God unless his whole heart is in the work and he counts all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. No man who makes any reserve, or in other words, no man who hesitates in any way can be the disciple of Christ, much less can he be his co-laborer. When men appreciate the great salvation, the self-sacrifice seen in the life of Christ, it will also be seen in theirs. Wherever he leads the way, they will rejoice to follow. I can tell you, friends, that, that many of your patients might already, are probably already hoping that you would offer to pray with them. It's not even a matter of you working up the gumption to ask. Many of them are already waiting, hoping that you'll ask them. I remember when I had surgery uh, for my cancer, I said to the doctor, are you going to pray for me? He said, well, you're a pastor. I said, it doesn't matter. I said, I want to know that your heart is surrendered to the Savior. He says, well, I don't pray out in public. I said, you better learn now. I said, let me pray for you, and then you're going to pray for yourself and for me. So that's what I did. And I was an Adventist minister. I wanted prayer for my doctor. But I'm going to talk to you about this weekend. I don't want to get into it now. and It's easy for me to do. But God wants you to do more than pray for your patients. That is, one, that is like 1%, you understand? We'll talk about that later. Secondly, Peter's confidence, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Go there with me to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 22. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, I, I don't know that I'll read this whole passage, but I'm just going to tell you for sake of time. But you understand the story. The Bible tells us that they went out on the sea and the storm began to rise up, right? And they were fearful, and they were distrusting, and they saw Jesus walking on the sea, and they thought it was a ghost. So not only was it bad enough that there was a storm, but now where there's ghosts, and Jesus calls out to them, don't be afraid. And then notice what happens here, verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. That ought to be a life promise for us, amen? And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you... Command me to come out to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began sinking. Uh, And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, 
Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then they got in the boat and the wind ceased. And then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, I hate to just stand and read to you, but I was reading these passages and they're so good. So do you mind indulging me for just a minute? Is that okay? You sure? All right. Probably nothing worse than a medical professional to sit and be read to, right? You like to read yourself, but you can follow along. Desire of Ages, page 381. As soon as they could credit the wondrous fact, Peter was almost beside himself with joy. As if he could scarcely yet believe, he cried out, Lord, if it be you, let me come to you on the water. Looking unto, and he said, come. Looking unto Jesus, Peter walks securely. How does he walk? But as in self-satisfaction, he glances back toward his companions in the boat. And his eyes are turned from the Savior. How often does that happen in the secular world? You know what I'm talking about? Jesus calls him out and he goes. And he's walking and he's looking at Jesus and he looks back and he says, I'm right here and they're all over there. I'm closer to the master. I'm closer to that promotion. I'm outrunning my others, my companions, my brothers. Does that ever happen? The wind is boisterous. The waves roll high. And come directly between him and the master, and he's afraid. For a moment, Christ is hidden from his view, and his faith gives way. He begins to sink. But while the billows talk with death, Peter lifts his eyes from the angry waters, and fixing them upon Jesus, says, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus grasps the outstretched hand, saying, O thou of little faith, why did you doubt? Now notice this. Walking by his side, Peter's hand is in that of his master, and they stepped into the boat together. So Peter, even after his sinking, once again walked on water. But Peter was now subdued and silent. And wet. wet. That is correct. With salt water, nonetheless. He had no reason now to boast over his fellows. That's a medical word, isn't it? For through unbelief and self-exaltation, he had very nearly lost his life. Lost his life. When he turned his eyes from Jesus, his footing was lost and he sank in the waves. Jesus read the character of his disciples. He knew how sorely their faith was to be tried. In this indecence on, on the sea, in this incident on the sea, he desired to reveal to Peter his own weakness, to show that his safety was in constant dependence upon divine power. Amidst the storm of temptation, he could only walk safely as in he uh, was in utter self-distrust and that he should rely upon the Savior. It was on the point where he thought himself strong that Peter was weak. 
And not until he discerned his weakness could he realize his need of dependence upon Christ. Had he learned the lesson that Jesus sought to teach him in that experience on the sea, he would not have failed in the great test that was to come upon him. Let me go back here, friends. Peter, in his self-exaltation, nearly lost his life. And so do you. If that is the spirit in which we operate, whether you're a minister or or a physician, a dentist, whatever, then we will lose our life. Are you with me this morning? Our own hearts, at one point or another, will sink under the billows of life. And we will begin to drown. Had Peter not remembered that Jesus was near, had he not cried out to the Savior, he would have died and his sins. But while he was swallowing that salt water, he managed to gurgle out, Lord, save me. It's probably all he had time to say. Shortest sentence he ever said. He always had something to say. Lord, save me. And let me help you see this, friends. At some point or another, you're going to be brought to a test, if you haven't already, that you cannot pass without the utter dependence of the Savior. Dependence upon the Savior. For me, it was when I was laying on my deathbed in the hospital. My vitals had been going up and down. When I checked into the hospital, my blood pressure was 55 over 27. My white blood cell count was 0.2. That infection had started to take its course, and I was dying. And they had to give me medication just to increase my blood pressure. And I was laying in ICU with two IVs, one in each arm, and a a uh, central line in my neck. And as it was about three o'clock in the morning, and I realized as I was laying there that there was nothing that any physician on earth could do for me. There was nothing that my wife could do for me, nothing that anyone in the whole hospital could do for me. And I laid there and I wrestled with God, and I recognized. I said, Lord, unless you do a miracle and you make some sort of divine intervention, I'm going to die right here in this bed. I'm dying, Lord. I'm sinking beneath the waves. And the Lord said, I can do nothing for you until you have first humbled yourself before me. And I laid on that bed and I wept and I cried to the Lord. And when I recognized that I had no strength to deliver myself, he began to draw near, draw near. And his heart touched my heart. And I surrendered myself to him, and the peace of God flooded my heart. And the next day I began to recover. Let me tell you, friends, we need medical professionals with that type of surrender and spirituality on the other side of the bed. 
When we see our patients laying there in those conditions, it ought to every day cause us to recommit ourselves to the Lord and recognize that the work you do is too great for you. No matter what your skill level is, no matter what your education is, no matter what your scores were, the work is too great for you. And you will sink below it to their destruction and to your own destruction unless you recognize that the Lord is your only help. A surrender of self. Peter almost lost his life. And I wonder for all of us how many other times that we have almost lost our own lives and didn't even know it. It wasn't but the mercy of God that saved us. Jesus wants us to learn the lesson. That our confidence is in vain if it's in ourselves. And there is no hope outside of him. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. If in your heart right now you're saying, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm doing fine in my profession. Just wait a while. It'll come. It'll come. And that confidence is going to be ground into the dust. And you're going to be searching your own heart, not knowing what to do. You're going to sink beneath the wave. And the Lord's going to be reaching out his hand to you. And pray to God. That we're not so far under the wave that we can't see his hand. But if we are, in mercy, God will reach his hand through the water and pull us out. Amen. Are you thankful this morning for the mercy of God? Are you thankful today for the love of God? God has a purpose for your life. More than just practicing medicine. He wants you to heal with the leaves from the tree of life. Thirdly. In the last few minutes here, Peter's cowardice and his conversion. Matthew chapter 26. If you go with me there, Matthew chapter 26. And uh, the story of his denial. Verse 31 and on. Then Jesus said to them, Matthew 26, 31. Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter, first one to speak, had just cried out, Lord, save me. Had just recognized that his confidence can't be in himself, but only in Christ. Just realized that his, his own profession was a failure without the Savior. And what does he do? He does it again. You ever done it again before? Yeah? Did you do it again this morning? (laughs) But Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. He's in the boat again. He's looking back at his companions saying, I'm over here and they're over there. Man, even amongst the ministers at the pastor's meetings, there's this competition with each other. There's this striving to see who can be 
greater. There's the striving of who can be up front and who can be the one that gets to do the devotionals and who can be the one that has the most baptisms and who can be the one that et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I know it's happening amongst y'all, even in the Adventist circle. Lord, they, they, you know, they may do this in the world, but I, they're not vegans. Veganism is good. But there are some vegan things that are bad. Coca-Cola and vodka are vegan. You understand that? They are. So I'm not knocking veganism, but I'm just saying I am knocking the internal striving that we often have with each other and maybe even with our colleagues. Is it possible that Adventist physicians and medical professionals are striving for the mastery even with non-Christian colleagues? Are you with me? Is it possible that we would even that we would even step on others who in our in our own profession that we're supposed to be revealing the character of Christ to? I won't forsake you, Lord. But every day we forsake him with that type of a spirit. Assuredly, I say to you, Jesus said, that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to go to to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. Listen, friends. When Jesus, when Peter said, Lord, even if I have to die for you, I'll do it. He meant it. Before Peter was broken on the rock, he loved Jesus. When Peter was walking out on the water and looking back, thinking of himself better than his brothers, he loved Jesus. Are you with me? Peter loved Jesus. He had a great and deep affection for Jesus. But Peter was not yet broken upon the rock. I believe today, friends, and I can't know the heart of every person, but just based upon the, the things that I observe in the church, there's a lot of people today in the Adventist church that love Jesus, but their hearts have not been broken for him. They have not come to the place where they are in the presence of divinity and recognize their own true sinfulness. But they love Jesus. If you, weren't, uh, if you didn't love Jesus, you wouldn't be in the Adventist church. Actually, you might be. The Pharisees were still in the Jewish faith, weren't they? They hated Jesus. My fear is that many of us love Jesus. But we deny him and the way that we conduct our lives. We deny him when it really matters. We deny him to look good in front of others. We deny him to make ourselves look elevated and exalted. But in reality, in the depths of our heart, 
we betray him. Christ's solemn call to Peter on that day was to search his heart. And friends, as Seventh-day Adventists, we know and understand that we are living in the day of judgment. At least we used to believe that. There are people not even, there are ministers now who, who not only do they not preach on it, but they actually preach against it. But we are living in solemn times on the very knife edge of eternity. And Jesus' call to Peter 2,000 years ago is a call to us today to search our hearts and the depths of our soul to know that we have been broken upon the rock. Instead of going to more, we go to all kinds of conventions today. We need to go to our closets. Nothing against conventions. But don't go to the convention unless you went to the closet. Don't go to your job in the morning until you have gone to your closet. God is calling us. out of self-confidence into Christ-dependence. Peter had cried out in that moment, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. How different his outcome would have been. It's 830. We've got to go on to the very last one quickly. We're on the last one, but the last point. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And then we're going to close. I may make an altar call this weekend. Is that okay? Just to tell you ahead of time. Mark chapter 14 and verse 66. You know the passage. Three times Peter denies Jesus. The one who walked on the water. The one whom Jesus when he confessed that he was the Christ, said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter, who had said and done, even up to this point, many great things for Jesus, but now would deny him. You see, friends, if Jesus had asked Peter to do something great for him, Peter would have done it, wouldn't he? If when Peter pulled out his sword and sliced off the ear of that priest, if Jesus had said, Peter, cut the other one off. He would have done it without hesitation. If he had said, take up the arms and fight those Roman soldiers, I'll give you the power to defeat them. He would have done it. But the problem was that Jesus was calling Peter to do something great, but in the eyes of the kingdom of heaven, not in the kingdoms of earth. Did you catch that? And my friends today, that is what God is calling you and I to, to do something great for the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdoms of the earth. And when we do something great for the kingdom of heaven, we must first be willing to recognize ourselves and humble ourselves before him to know our condition, to know our problem, and to know that we need total dependence upon him. And so Peter goes on and denies him three times. And in verse 71, the third time, it says, and then he began to curse and swear. 
Desire of Ages says that Peter was even trying to sort of join in the mocking of Jesus during the trial. But he couldn't. It was too, it just couldn't do it. But he was swearing, I don't know the man whom you speak. Do you say that in your practice? Not verbally, but the way you conduct yourself. I don't know the man. A second time, the rooster crowed, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus has said, you will deny me three times. And notice the last sentence of that chapter. It says, and when he thought about it, he wept. The other gospels say that he wept bitterly. He wept how? Bitterly. But I want you to think about that for just a minute. The Bible says, when he thought about it, he wept bitterly. Friends, Satan has gotten our lives so busy that we don't have time to think about it. We deny, 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 and we don't think about it. We don't reflect it. And quickly, as we just begin to wrap up here, as we do wrap up, let me just read to you a couple paragraphs here from Desire of Ages on this very chapter. It says, while the de- from page 712, while the degrading oaths were fresh upon his lips, the shrill crowing of the cro- cock was still ringing in his ears. The Savior turned from the frowning judges and looked upon his poor disciple. At the same time, Peter's eyes were drawn to the master. and that gentle countenance, he read deep pity and sorrow, but there was no anger there. Peter just cursed and said, I don't know the man. Jesus turned with pity and love to his poor disciple. In his weakness, even in his weakness, Jesus looked upon him. The sight of that pale, suffering face, those quivering lips, that look of compassion and forgiveness pierced his heart like an arrow. Conscience was aroused. Memory was active. Peter called to mind his promise a few short hours ago that he would go to prison with his Lord and to death. He remembered his grief when the Savior told him in the upper chamber that he would deny his Lord. He had just declared that he had not known Jesus, but now realized with bitter grief how well his Lord knew him. You see, friends, if we are unwilling to search our own selves, then the eye of Jesus will search us. Do you know what it is to have the searching eye of Jesus upon your heart? Every one of us need it because he will show you the most wicked places in your heart. And yet at the same time, a love that you cannot turn away from and a compassion to change your heart. Amen. The searching eye of Jesus, a tide of memories rushed over him and the Savior's mercy kindness and long-suffering, his gentleness and patience toward his disciples was all remembered. He recalled the caution, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that your faith would fail not. Satan desires you this morning just as much as he desired Peter. And your only protection is that the Savior would intercede for you. It's your only protection, it's your only hope. He reflected with horror upon his ungratitude, unable to, once more he looked at his master and saw sacrilegious hand raised to smite him in the face. Unable any longer to endure the scene, he rushed, heartbroken, from the hall. 
He pressed on in solitude and darkness. He knew not and cared not whither. At last he found himself in Gethsemane. The scene of a few hours before vividly came to his mind. The suffering face of his Lord, stained with bloody sweat and convulsed with anguish, rose before him. He remembered with bitter remorse that Jesus had wept and agonized in prayer alone, while those who would have united with him in that trying hour were sleeping. He remembered his solemn charge. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And he witnessed again the scene in the judgment hall. It was torture to his bleeding heart to know that he had added the heaviest burden to the Savior's humiliation and grief. On the very spot where Jesus had poured out his soul in agony to his father, Peter fell upon his face and wished that he might die. It was in sleeping when Jesus bade him watch and pray that Peter had prayed prepared the way for his great sin. All the disciples, by sleeping in that critical hour, sustained a great loss. Christ knew the fiery ordeal through which they were to pass. He knew how Satan would work to paralyze their senses. Before, therefore, it was, he gave them the warning. Had those hours in the gardens been spent in watching and prayer, Peter would not have left to de- been left to depend upon his own feeble strength. He would have not have denied his Lord. Imagine that. Had the disciples watched with Christ in agony, they would have been prepared to behold his suffering upon the cross. They would have understood in some degree the nature of his overpowering anguish. And they would have been able to recall his words that foretold his suffering, his death and resurrection. Amid the uh, the gloom of the most trying hour, rays of hope would have lighted upon the darkness and sustained their faith. One final point. In sleeping... They suffered tremendous loss. They suffered and lost that which would sustain them through the greatest trial of their faith. And they all forsook him and fled. Only John stayed relatively close. On the cross, they could not bear it and they and they left because they were what the bible says something about sleeping and god's last day church doesn't it something about 10 virgins going to sleep something about being lukewarm satisfied merely with this life Pleased to look good in the eyes of men. But what often is pleasing to men is an abomination to God. Jesus calls us today, just like he did to Peter and the others, and says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And your profession... And your practice, what are you doing? Are you sleeping or are you watching and praying? For great loss is at risk, not just to yourself, but to your family, to your patients, to your church. Jesus would love to sustain you through that trial that's coming 
And let me tell you what, friends, no profession, no calling, whether it be a pastor or a doctor or whatever else, will sustain us through the trials that are to come upon this world unless we have surrendered ourselves wholly to the master. So this morning I'm asking you and inviting you to surrender yourself. And I don't know what's in your life today. You've got burdens that I don't know and I've got burdens that you don't know. But I'm going to be the first to say, Lord, today I want to surrender my life to you. Because when Peter surrendered his life, he fell upon the rock and he was broken. He wept bitterly. Jesus, when he resurrected, called him by name and said, go and tell my disciples and tell Peter that I've risen. And Jesus will rise in your hearts this morning. And he called Peter again into his service. He wants to call you and I into his service today. Amen. Would you re-surrender yourself today? Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father in heaven, this morning, we've seen the life of Peter. In the life of Peter, we've seen ourselves. And we need, Lord, a revival and a surrender like we've not had. And Lord, I pray this morning that you'll give it to us. Some of us in our talents and skills have, have depended upon ourselves And yet, Lord, we'll sink beneath the waves. Some of us, Lord, have boldly and arrogantly proclaimed, I'll not deny you. And we go to church every week, but in our daily lives, we deny you over and over again. But Lord, you went to the garden for us. You went to the cross for us. And you desire to bring us to the cross ourselves. And may we bear that cross with joy May we bear it with happiness. And Lord, before we can even bear our cross, we have to be falling upon the rock that is broken. And we must be broken today, Lord. Help us, we pray, to surrender ourselves to you, lest we deceive ourselves and serve ourselves. May we serve you with all of our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.